The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. So how open are you with your feelings, Alan? Quite open, really. Oh, that surprises me. Yeah, I feel like I've uh, I've got the runs again. Hang on, I've got to go. <laughs> Is that his way of not expressing his true emotions to us? Just run away to the bathroom like just, you always do, Alan. Just run away and pretend you've got diarrhoea. <laughs> He's just slammed the door. He's disappeared. <laughs> so yeah, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Alan's diarrhoea. <laughs> Yeah, what we're going to delve deep into the squishy insides of our favourite sound man to find out the real cause and effect of his irregular bowel movements. What an episode that would make. Please, no. (laughs) We'll actually be focusing on men's problems with their communication and how this can affect their mental health. Yes, not men's bottoms functions. (laughs) We understand that focusing on men's mental health is too broad a subject to squeeze into one 40-minute episode, so I hope that I can use my sober gimp as an example. We can gain insight into why some men struggle to open up in the same way as women. More importantly, we want to figure out what role alcohol has to play in it all. We're sticking with sober gimp, are we? We're sticking with the gimp. (laughs) We want to discuss not only how alcohol can be the cause of mental health issues, but also delve into the dangers of using it as a means of self-medication. Although this episode might come across as one of the heavier ones with less anecdotes of our various drunken mishaps, we cannot underestimate how important this topic is. We hope that anyone listening of any gender who is going through a tough time is encouraged to reach out for help. It might just save your life. Yeah, for sure. Although this episode is about men, Vic, I'm actually really excited to get the female perspective on it. A lot of men's inner dialogue concerns what we believe others, particularly women, I reckon, want from us. But I hope that by being open with you and hearing what women actually feel, we might be able to dispel some of those myths. All I want is chocolate and to be left alone <laughs> from, <Easy>. from men. <laughs> okay. Easy to read your mind. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nothing else is going on up here. <laughs> I guess it goes without saying that as a woman, we create stories in our heads of what someone feels about us. And alcohol can feed that beast, of course. Rather than being level-headed, our anxieties can take control. Particularly if we're drunk or hungover, I'm definitely guilty of that. We fall into the trap of worrying more about what people think of us than how we feel about ourselves. Shall we get started with the numbers, Vic? Yeah, take it away, Hamish. 
On average, one in eight men will experience depression, and one in five men will experience anxiety at some stage of their lives. Blokes make up an average of seven out of every nine suicides every day in Australia. That is wild to that me. That is, yeah. The number of men who die by suicide in Australia is nearly double the national road toll. But it's not just suicide we're talking about here. Men are also more likely than women to die from destructive coping mechanisms like drugs and alcohol. The rate of mental health disorders between men and women is about the same, but fewer men access professional help or a service. In fact, men account for only 40% of Medicare-subsidised mental health services in Australia. So what this really boils down to is why do men feel less comfortable than women to discuss their mental health? And what can be done to save you from turning to the bottle when you're struggling? Let's begin by talking about our own experiences, Vic. So rather than focus on mental health, I want to talk more about struggling to communicate yes that is something that i've definitely felt more in my last relationship i used to get criticized for being kind of like an emotionless wall and i often thought why am i that way because i don't feel like i'm that way but i'm clearly not communicating my emotions well enough Mm. because i know that i'm not wall but yeah you think that i am and i've went out with her for five and a half years you know so i obviously didn't show every side of me so i wondered a lot about why am i this way why am i not open about this and ironically that relationship ending opened up something in me where now I am very open about talking about my emotions and I cry in front of people more okay that's good the breakup I cried you know every day for ages but always alone yeah whereas now I feel like I'd be quite comfortable crying in front of someone when you were sad and alone and crying after the breakup of that relationship did you feel the need to talk to anyone about it I didn't uh, part of me only wanted to talk about it and part of me didn't want to bore people by being one of those people that just talks about their ex Mm. and I was very conscious of that I was like I don't want to ruin your day by calling you up when you're having a lovely weekend and being like I am having a terrible time every day trying to deal with this thing that's happened to me so that's what you're saying there is that you were self-conscious about your emotions yeah so isn't that strange? So there, there's I am like pouring all over people, not really caring what, how they judge me, especially if I was talking to a woman. But for you, for a male, you were scared of what people might think of you, perhaps because they thought you were weak. Yes. And I wonder if more men feel this, which is it's very difficult, I think, to talk about your emotions or a heartbreak or cry in front of another man or in front of a group of men. Mm. So unless you've got some really close friends who are women... Mm. who you feel more comfortable going there with. I'm like, I've got one or two that I feel really comfortable going there with. They don't get talking about, you know? You yeah. might share your emotions with your partner, but if that relationship breaks down, you've pretty much left up shit's creek, you know? There's no one you can turn to. So I felt that quite a lot. I was happy to talk about break up with a girl friend, but yeah. really not with a guy friend a guy. all that comfortably. Did you drink at all during that period? Did you drink more than you... I Would got have... you get given with any breakup you get given lots of crap advice. Yeah. <laughs> and I think almost all the advice I got given was crap. Sleep around, throw yourself into your career, go out more. Yeah. All of that hopeless to yeah. me. I did not go out more. I did not want to I did not feel like partying. So I didn't turn to drink. I was living at home. Yes. So Well that's not, good. Yeah, I didn't think I'll just get hammered every day. There was a few situations like her birthday I got blackout drunk right yeah and i was actually at kit harrington's house yeah he had a party and i went to his house and on his in his office at the top floor he's got a whiteboard 
And I wrote on this whiteboard, I love Portia, who is his sister-in-law, who's my, an old mate of mine. Yeah. And the next morning I was told that that was a permanent marker. Oh, no. <laughs> and I remember texting his wife different solutions I found on Google of how to get permanent marker off a whiteboard. I was like, oh, God, it's not often I get to go to like a cool party and I got so drunk. Oh, I think because it was my ex's birthday. Yeah. But yeah, I permanent marker. I did that, yeah. I once it just reminded me of a story. I once, as a joke, I was painting my bedroom and had went out. I was living in Brighton at the time, went out and got really drunk and came back and the pot of paint, red paint, was still in my bedroom. <laughs> and I was really drunk and I wrote red red rum, you know, like murder backwards, with it all dripping down the walls, thinking it was really, really funny. <laughs> and in the morning I woke up to like, no. Yeah, red rum on my bedroom wall. Oh my god! Yeah, we, I'm a weirdo. So yeah, I think I think I definitely struggled a lot with communicating emotions. I actually think what helped me was going to a drama school. Okay, I went yeah. to a posh English boarding school. Yeah, pretty one-dimensional conversations with lads, lad culture. Don't really get into it. Yeah. Everyone's straight. Everyone's parents have one of three jobs. You know, yes, it's yeah. quite a small world. And Daddy's in the city. Mummy owns an antique shop. Yeah, mummy stays at home, and doesn't work. Dad's a lawyer or a doctor or yeah. insurance or go a ship. to a shooting yeah. lord in yeah. South Africa yeah. every summer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing Most of my friends that, no. went to those schools, but then I went to drama school, where yeah, sure you can talk about how oh, you got to get into your emotions for to be a good actor, but I think that's bollocks. I think you just met a bigger range of people yeah. who were. Who, their emotions were right there for all to see. And I think that helped unlock something in me and open up a little bit more. Yeah, so you're amongst people who accept you no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's a problem for men is sometimes in a group of men or your mates, you're not sure what level is okay or what level is emo- of emotion is going to be accepted in that group. And that can be a problem. But you're not brave enough to assume that whatever you say will be okay. Yeah. All of your best mates love you. Of course they do. So no one is going to be shaken if you're like, can I talk about this terrible thing that I'm experiencing right now? But most people, myself included for years, are too scared to pick up the phone and say, can we talk about something crap rather yeah. than can we talk about the football or something funny that we saw today? Yeah, it's a shame. So I do definitely agree, Hamish, here that men's mental health and women's mental health is very, very different. Mm. Yeah, for me, my mental health has come up at various times of my life. I am somebody who struggles occasionally with their mental health. It's very rare, but when it does happen, of course, it feels huge and I feel all it's very strange and wobbly. The problem with mental health for men and women is that it can be invisible for others, which is exactly what I had. I had panic attacks yeah. in my early 20s. That was my first real solid experience of feeling mentally unwell. I lost friends because people couldn't see my pain. And I think that's something we're going to talk a bit later about, Hamish. Do these panic attacks happen in private rather than publicly? No, a few times they happen publicly and people were there to try and calm me down. Mm. But they can't see your mental anguish when you're feeling like right. that. I felt like I was going mad a lot of the time. In fact, for about a year, I had a bit of a drug overdose. I took too much ecstasy in my early 20s when I was a proper party girl. And that had consequences, which led me into feeling really, really unwell. And it's not like having a dippy knee or a cut on your head. Nobody could see what was going on inside me. And the more I spoke about it, the more mad I felt. Trying to explain to someone what was going on in my head was too hard. And I could feel when the words were coming out that I could see that I sounded mad. Therefore, I shut it off. 
off. So I know what we're talking about here when men shut things off. I felt mm. that too as a woman at one stage that I didn't want to talk about it with people because I didn't want to be a downer. I didn't want to bring people into my turmoil, you know, involve them in my whirlwind that was going on at that time. And I was really poorly. I ended up moving back home with my parents. I got therapy, cognitive behavioural therapy in the end. Yeah. And I was able to talk about it to the people that I needed to. I had to tell my mum and dad what I'd done and it had been burning the candle at two ends for too long and that I needed help. So I did talk about it quite early on and I took the process I needed to to get better. Since then, I've had a couple of other wobbly moments throughout my life. The one recently that I had was that my son, Freddie, nearly died. He had a choking incident, which we now found out is epilepsy. And I thought I saw my child die before my eyes. The actual moment in itself, of course, was the most traumatic thing that's ever happened in my entire life. And at the time, I dealt with it very well. I, you know, I was screaming on the side of the road, but I dealt with it in a way where I went into action and did everything that I could to save his life. So what are the repercussions of that been, I suppose? Well, I think the repercussions were that I was in some sort of trauma state for three weeks after that. And that caused my mental health to to deteriorate over that period. And I had to carry on because I had my I was on holiday actually and I had my three kids with me. We were in a camper van and we had to get on with it. We had to get on with the holiday after this terrible thing had happened. And I actually felt then that my husband's mental health got left behind a little bit because mine was deteriorating and therefore he had to take on the role as the responsible parent. And because I was so unwell, he's the one that had to get the kids ready every day. He had to drive the van while I just sort of wobbled in the passenger seat next to him, wondering whether I was going to have to go into a mental institution. Well, what did it look like? You said you're bad for three weeks. What what does that actually mean? It doesn't look like anything. It was inside my head. You right. could never have guessed what was going on inside me. I felt like, again, that I was going mad and I was having anxiety. I felt like everybody I knew was going to die because I experienced the fragility of life mm. right before me in that moment and I saw that one minute my son was okay and the next minute he looked like he was dead yeah. and all of a sudden it felt like that was going to happen at any moment so I felt like I was living on the edge it changed over time it got better each day but it was a very traumatic time for me were you speaking to John about it I was speaking about it I actually went and stayed in a hotel on my own because oh, wow. I felt like I couldn't burden anyone with this I knew that it was something that I I could get through and I had to go and sleep it off because I wasn't sleeping. Sleep sometimes can obviously make you feel like you're going mad. And I had to try and get over it on my own and then get back into the situation, which is not a good way to no. deal with it. I should have just probably gone to see a doctor or a therapist or got some help from somewhere where I was away, where I was on holiday. Did drinking ever cross your mind? Not that? once. Or would it have done a few years ago, I guess? No, I don't think in that situation. Yeah. It probably would have done a few years ago. I definitely would have numbed out that anxiety. Well, yeah, go to a hotel yeah, room and... Of course. Yeah. yeah, I would have like that would have then spiralled out of control and I probably mm. wouldn't be here right now. But in that situation, I was already three years sober and I, I never even, it never even crossed yeah, my mind. Good. And that is a point you can get to in sobriety where you just don't think about drinking anymore. I don't think about it hardly ever. Yeah. I don't want to do it because I know in those sorts of situations, I'm not mentally stable enough, Hamish, to be drinking. It causes me to have anxiety and my anxiety causes me to spiral and I know that I am not emotionally stable enough to be able to do it anymore. So I know myself so well. But I do admit that at that time, I prioritise my mental health over my husband's, which I do feel terrible about. But he deals with things in different way. And this is the problem that we're going to talk about today is that my husband's very much of the point of view, this happened, let's get over it and get on with our lives. We're all here, we're all alive, let's carry on. Whereas women 
I don't know, I'm not talking about all women, I'm not going to make any sweeping statements, but I think generally women go into the situation more and assess it and pull it apart, whereas he's just like, we're here, we're safe, we're fine, let's carry on with the holiday. I wonder, though, whether or not that is how he is, how that, that is how man acts in that situation, Yep. genuinely, or does a man feel obliged to act in that situation because in in that particular day you were not in control so he thought right I've got to put a brave face on here and be the leader of my family yeah I totally agree with you and I feel bad for it but he had to take on the role of the caregiver right there because I wasn't capable of it Mm. and I think it's like swings from person to person if you're in a solid relationship that situation will swing from one person to the other at some point Yes. I mean if he struggled I would have to take on that role and he's actually more mentally stable than I am he's never had panic attacks or or any mental health issues so I am more prone to that sort of behaviour than he is so he's obviously going to be the one that steps in. I think I would have used alcohol to bury those feelings before and I think I am guilty of self-medicating my mental health in the past because it was easier than considering stopping. It was kind of a short-term high so in that situation I could have had that short-term high and not dealt with the consequences but imagine that drinking in that situation because something's bad happened it's just not a good idea but I am a woman so it therefore I think I talk about what's going on with myself whereas I feel that perhaps a man wouldn't. And I told everybody how I was feeling. I got home. I got a therapy session. I knew the tools I needed to put in place to make sure that I didn't spiral out of control. It's no secret that we feel closer to people and experience a deeper connection when we share our vulnerabilities together. It also makes us feel better to voice emotions rather than bottling them up. So the question is, why do men in particular struggle to share in this way? So Vic, I'm reading a lot of Brene Brown at the moment, who's brilliant. She's got the big famous TED Talk which has been viewed 70 yep. million times. I've watched it, yeah. Um, and she says that for the most part, we still consider vulnerabilities to be a weakness rather than a strength. Yep. And this seems to me to be the key issue. And it's so important that we shift this mindset and start seeing it as a strength and start sharing these things. Yeah, it is such an old mindset. I think women are just as much to blame as seeing vulnerability as a weakness rather than a strength, particularly when we were growing up. I mean, I couldn't avoid it in the 80s. Do you think you acted differently based on what you thought women were attracted to, Haim? So I reckon growing up when I was a teenager and first interested in women when I really didn't understand women at all. I was always jealous of my friends that had sisters. Yeah. I was like, if you've got a sister, you understand women. I only have one brother. I haven't got a clue what's going on. Yeah. So I would have said that that women were looking for characteristics like bravery, strength, courage. You know, they were things that were key to women and women's attention. Yeah. In short, you had to be a superhero. You know, I had to be James Bond in order to win women's affections. Yeah. Is that what you were looking for in a man when you were growing up? Well, yeah, all of those things. Back in the day, I just want somebody that was sort of quick-witted, kind, smart, you know, the normal things. Well-travelled, brave, stable, hung like a donkey. Standard. (laughs) How do you think that changed as you grew up and you started looking for a life partner rather than someone hot at a disco? Well, I realised that I needed one thing out of that list. Not donkey dick. <laughs> no, really, I, you know, I met my husband and he had no piercings, no tattoos, no addictions. So he was cool enough for me. And fast forward 17 years later, he's still that person. I'd been through a lot of losers and through experience realised that there's only one thing that was important to me, which was kindness. Mm-hmm. 
So it's interesting, as I do believe within this topic lingers a whiff of old-fashioned male-female roles. Men traditionally don't feel comfortable sharing how they feel because in the past they were not supposed to, like alcohol, long-ingrained customs are hard to shift. So that's what we're talking about there with like showing you our perfect man. I had certain things that I wanted out of a man and that's where men struggle, isn't it, Hamish? Because you're looking for something that he's brave and he's this and he's like James Bond and he's this superhero. Whereas in fact, we're not saying, well, actually, he's also a human and he's vulnerable and he has emotions and he gets scared. And maybe we need to drum that into society a bit more. But when we're teenagers, I'll tell you what, kindness only gets you one thing, which is friend zoned. You know, it seemed girls wanted the bad boy. Girls wanted the smoker and the drinker and the guy was kind of a dick to them. They seemed to get all the girls. Kindness was got you nowhere but those that's something you learn over time isn't it it's funny because that archaic mindset causes men to keep quiet when they should be talking so we've established that men struggle to communicate on an emotional level that feels much easier to women but the question remains why i've tried to simplify this into three reasons right okay so the first is that we're brought up to believe what a man truly is Okay, Mm. phrases like "don't cry," "be a brave boy," "who's who's a big who's a brave soldier," you know, something you say to a toddler or whatever. Yeah, they're repeated, and they're and you're rewarded for being brave. Yeah, probably differently to the way that you would parent a a girl. You wouldn't say things like, you know, "be a brave soldier," maybe to a daughter. I'm not sure. No, that's true. And superheroes like Superman, Action Man, James Bond. Those are who we grew up with, loving because we're little children none of those are emotional when has james bond or superman ever had a difficult emotional day so we idolize cartoon characters or superheroes that only have one emotion which is bravery courage save people i think that's interesting because what you're saying is like in the media and everywhere we look we're portraying men as being strong and being the one that stands up like my husband in that situation Mm. we're portraying them as the one the solid structure in the relationship that keeps everything together and actually that's a really toxic message isn't it it's actually not true and we need to level out this sort of male female emotional bridge so that we can all cross it and meet somewhere in the middle. So what's your second point? Okay, so my second one is that this is a generational problem. So from my experience, my dad, who is my big role model, is not emotional at all. Okay, And I think that's not uncommon in that generation above us. So I remember him saying, I interviewed him for a podcast about his dad dying. He was very young when his dad died. Right. And I said, did you cry? And he said, no, I don't remember crying. And he said, you know, you, you can be sad without crying, which struck me as bizarre but yeah it's a fair point not everyone cries when they're sad and I remember thinking yeah this is a generational thing I I saw my dad cry once and I didn't even see it so he was telling us that his mum had died my granny Mm. and the way he did it is he turned me and my brother away from him and he was standing with his hands on our shoulders and he told us the news and I could hear him crying and I could see my brother crying and I remember trying to not cry I was seven yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to cry. Dad and my brother are crying. I'm not going to cry with this news. That was me being told my granny died. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example, isn't it, of like us hiding our emotions and yeah. turning away from them and saying, look, I'm a man. I'm not going to cry in front of people. The older generation thought therapy or psychology, I think, was a waste of time. My dad certainly, you know, if I say oh, I've been in therapy or I've got a psychiatrist session come up, he's like, waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really that attitude of just pull yourself together. It's What's wrong with you? It's talking about yourself. Like, it's why? almost like an army attitude, like a post-war attitude. It's like, come on, chin up. We're British. Yeah. Get on with it 
let's carry on, even though no matter what this has happened, let's get on with things. And I guess that's because their parents were like that. It's not yeah. their fault. That's what they saw. And yeah. I, maybe we're the first generation to try and break that. And, and if I we guess, go too far the other way yeah. and we're super emotional, maybe that's what needs to happen in order to... To of, level it out. Yeah. Well, I think that generation as well, they'd been through a lot mm. and they had to get pull it all together and they didn't have the money that we have now, like my parents certainly didn't. They couldn't afford to have a psychiatrist or a mm. therapist or somebody else step into their situation. They just had enough money to put a bit of lard on their head <laughs> in the morning. Like, it wasn't an easy life back then so there wasn't you couldn't spend money on frivolous things that we call now necessary things mm. our parents didn't have and also I remember growing up if somebody had a mental health issue it was always sort of neighbours nudging each other mm. or whispering over the garden fence as they hung their washing on the line it used to be something like Steve down the road has had a breakdown or Linda at number th- 23 has gone loony there was never a mention of oh somebody has is having mental health issues yeah. it was just a judgement oh they're mad let's you know stay away let them deal with it I mean I remember playing conkers with Linda down the road she was a bit mad but she was a good conker player Yeah, so it's a generational thing here that we're talking about, Mm. about how men have dealt with their emotions over the last hundred years, let's say, and how that's changing now. And we're starting to understand how men have the same needs as women emotionally. Yeah. And my third point, which is kind of the result of the first two, so a result of us being brought up to understand what a man is and also the generational problem of of our parents generally not being too emotional, is that this can create toxic masculinity. Publicly, we act in a way that we believe to be overly masculine. We drink beer, we discuss sports, we do not talk about our emotions. And this can leave you feeling really trapped. We'll, we'll do an episode about sport and about changing room culture. And I will say stag dudes, the way that we act in these groups of men is not how we act when we're alone. It's just so alpha male. It's so toxic. And like I said earlier, it's very difficult to have conversations in that group unless you have got a sister or a friend who's a girl or a partner. Mm. There actually, there are people that I know who are blokes who are that is a person I can call in that situation yeah but I would say they are one in 15 of my friends I don't think many people have that male friend like many guys I know don't have that male friend because often when you go out in a drinking situation for example you're with a group of people it's that tribal mentality you're watching the footy there's no situation there where you can express yourself Mm. whereas Generally, we know. We, I know we're making a few sweeping statements in this podcast today, but we're trying to make a general assumption here that women, you know, we're more likely to sit down and have yeah. a cup of tea. We're more likely to go for a run on the beach or a walk together or sit and have a picnic over, you know, an alcohol-free beer or whatever. And we're more generally going to be opening up about our emotions because that's how we connect on that level as mothers mm. and as, as women and as people. We connect a lot easier. And for men, the situations that you bond in are often can be quite chaotic, like a, a match or yep. even just going to the pub as, with a few mates. And I think men find it difficult to create situations where you wouldn't phone someone up and just go, should we go for a pint just on our own? Well, not anymore, Hamish. Yep. You'd go for a fizzy water. <laughs> but I I think men would find it hard to phone up a guy, another guy, and say, look, I'm not feeling great. Can we go for a drink and talk about this? Well, you want to know what's strange mm. is I have done that only masking it behind a podcast. Okay. So I've said, can I interview you for a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and in that space, you yeah. can talk for an hour. I've done about grief. You know, Can I yes. talk about your grief for an hour? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you lots of questions. You don't have to ask me any because this is about you yeah and in that space 
and you know it's going to be this long it's going to be an episode people are happy to share yeah but doing that conversation in a pub or at someone's house yeah i've very rarely managed to do so it's like giving up alcohol in a way so like you've got to create safe spaces for yourself as as people you've got to create places that you're comfortable in and that you can share what's really going on because we don't care about all the other bullshit yeah. all the frivolous conversations about the weather and about all the other stuff those conversations those deep conversations that you have with mates about your true feelings can be life-saving absolutely yeah yeah so bottling up of emotions can often lead to an increase in consumption of alcohol and the effects of this can be deadly Alcohol is effectively used in three ways to medicate and cure the problem of pent-up emotions. Alcohol gets us to open up. Alcohol is used to numb any emotions. And using alcohol as a means of feeling connected. So what we're doing there with all of those things is actually drowning out what's going on, getting a few beers down on it and pretending it's not okay, and then waking up the next morning with exactly the same problem, but with a hangover on top of it. Just never addressing the issue. Yeah, never addressing the issue. And then the ball keeps rolling and gathering speed. And that's when your mental health will start to spiral out of control. So it's so dangerous. So what really we wanted to do this podcast today, because Hamish is here to give the male perspective on this. And it's just so fascinating to hear, Hamish, that, you know, men do feel like this. And I do feel sort of responsible in some way. And I think as women as well, we can help by nudging you, not like we don't nag you enough, by poking you and saying, are you okay? And do you want to talk about something? Because I think we can have that role as well. It doesn't have to be you talking to a male. It can be you talking to me or, you know, anyone. It's funny because actually talking to your partner can be the hardest person to speak to as well. Yeah. Because that's almost you want a wife or a partner to say, do you want to talk to someone about it that's not me? Talk to that friend of yours. Try and be the middle person to initiate that conversation because it's equally helpful. So true. So how do we change the way that we approach discussions of this kind to encourage more men in particular to talk? The Men's Line Australia website suggests a few ideas which I think are brilliant. New non-traditional ways of providing support. Hamish, I think you're going to tell us about OneWave. Yeah, so OneWave is fantastic. It is a mental health group. They meet at the beach. I used to do it in Bondi, but beaches all over Australia do. Actually, all over the world, I think. And you meet up. Everyone wears fluoro because mental health is invisible. So we wear fluoro so everyone can see us. Right. And you sit in a circle and there'll be some sort of topic, but generally people are sharing their experiences of mental health in a really safe space. And then everyone will either go for a surf or do a yoga session then everyone goes for a coffee afterwards and that idea of sitting in a circle with complete strangers and everyone's dressed up I loved it I actually found far more comfortable discussing this sort of stuff with a complete group of strangers than I did people that I knew or a therapist because you're not going to be judged because you know they're there for the same reason yeah Changing the messaging and language around this topic, for example, counsellors are changed to use a style that's based around communicating about goals and solutions rather than just talking about feelings. So we're saying they're more structured help. It can be you sitting with a mate, but also you can find someone who really knows how to pin down what is going on with you. Yeah, and that use of language can be can be really effective. Providing support specifically for men. Men communicate differently to women, obviously. There's plenty of arguments about that. Yeah. And implementing some really simple concepts such as shoulder shoulder to shoulder conversations with minimal, minimal eye contact have had a huge difference. I actually did not know that until I read this one. So that but, is a fact. Yeah, have a conversation side by side rather than let's sit opposite and talk about our emotions. Yeah, that would Men work. Men might feel uncomfortable having an eye to eye emotional talk whereas side to side, like I said, one wave we're sitting in a circle. So that is shoulder to shoulder. Makes a lot of sense. 
does make sense. That's interesting. So just asking the question, are you okay in a quiet, safe space over a coffee or after a surf, is really going to help check in with your mates. Sobriety helps with this. It allows deeper connections with people. And that's something that I've changed a lot with as before I had panic attacks and I was embarrassed to tell people about myself when I was in my early 20s. But as I got older, I educated myself about my mental health and understood that the only way that I was going to get better was to actually talk about it. And that's what I've done. And and that's how I now know, even though I do wobble occasionally, I do know I'll be all right. Yeah. I won't let it get to the point where I'm feeling suicidal, for example, because I know the steps that I have to take. And that is to get somebody else to step in to help me. Yeah. On yeah. that, actually, a friend of mine, Albie, always talks about asking, how are you today? Yes. Just saying, how are you to Adding today rather than how are you is such an easy way to make people actually tell you how they feel. Brilliant. Yeah. How are you feeling like right now? Yeah. yeah. How are you actually feeling right now? Yeah. Like really try and pin it down. Yeah, the biggest lesson that I've learned through all this, which I love to share, is that I was under the impression that my friends and family didn't want to hear me complaining about struggles in my life. Yeah. And they didn't want me to ruin their day by telling them about my heartbreak or any other problems. But the truth is this. By not sharing with them, I was inadvertently sending them the message that I don't want to hear their stories when they're in a similar position. And that is such a dangerous loop that keeps us from true connection. That is a brilliant paragraph there, Hamish. That is so true. So by not talking about it, we're creating this sort of vicious cycle of being alone in our own heads and suffering. Yeah. And also, I think feeling every emotion that there is to feel awful at the time yeah but it's the best way to connect with someone so that you know you've got children imagine your 18 year old son comes home and has gone through a breakup and you can be like i know you know yeah, i know I there's nothing i can say to make yeah. you feel better but i was in your shoes 40 years ago and i get it yeah you know it's such a beautiful way to connect with someone yeah and i think it's a shame nowadays too like you know we see everybody on instagram on facebook and the highlights of our lives and how wonderful we are but i do see a change happening where people are starting to share their troubles a bit more you see the odd crying photo and mm. people really putting it out there if they're in hospital or having mental health issues and that helps that stuff it takes away the stigma for men particularly that it's okay we're all fucked up we're all Mm. mental one of our favorite sayings on this podcast Hamish is fucked up but trying to do better and that's all we are we're just humans and we're trying to do our best everybody knows life isn't perfect so the more you're open about your fuck uppery the better if someone you know is struggling mentally you might not be able to see it they will look okay say yeah I'm fine and seem to be getting on with life when in fact they could be keeping their true feelings under wraps because they're embarrassed scared or don't want to burden you with their issues keep asking if you're worried that one question means you care and sometimes that one thing is enough and if it's you that's struggling one of the best things you can do is to stop drowning it out with booze doing that won't solve a damn thing instead take the steps you need to get better answer that friend honestly and be kind to yourself for once get help yeah as they say this is so true you can't solve your own problems with the same thinking that created them (laughs) i mean that was something i definitely had to learn So, yes, Hamish, we need to talk about your challenge. Oh, yes, it is challenge time. Yes, it is challenge week, yeah. So this week, I was trying to, you know, flicking through the files of my brain to come and think of something really horrible to do to you. Thank you. Actually, I've come up with something brilliant. I was looking at the night quarter here on the Sunshine Coast. They run a cocktail night. Okay. um, And it's on every weekend. And I phoned the lady up and said, hello, we have a podcast with Nova and I would like to bring my friend Hamish down and... I'd like to do a pub crawl. 
So on Saturday, Hamish, what? you and I are going on a pub crawl, <laughs> an alcohol-free pub crawl. I thought you were going to say you're going to make me like smell every cocktail when nope. I wasn't allowed to drink it. The lady's <laughs> organising it for us, bless wow. her. Wow. Yes. What are we drinking? No idea. We've got to turn up. We're bringing mates with us. We can bring whoever we want, yeah. and they're going to take us on a pub crawl. That's amazing. And they're going to supply all alcohol-free drinks the whole way. And we've got to mingle like we would if we were drinking. Dance. And we've got to get on. We've got to dance. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a good night. So. That sounds amazing. Yes, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to get dolled up and go out. Beautiful. Thank you for that. We'll end this one with a Brene Brown quote because I said I've been reading a lot of her. Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. That's so true. I love Brene Brown. So yeah, I highly recommend any of her books or anything if you're on this sober journey or any sort of mental health journey. It's a real uplifting journey that she's had as well, isn't it? Should we go check if Alan's blocked the loo? I don't know whether he's blocked the loo. I think he might have spattered it. (laughs) There's nothing to block the loo with his stomach. We better go and check he's all right though, wouldn't we? (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix got one. Yeah, just head to www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it and share it with your mates. They have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know. I'll just write it on there.